It's the Chronicles of Aguna, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, I'm joined by Dan Potts. Dan, welcome back to the show, mate. How are you, first of all? Yeah, good, mate. I've just enjoyed a weekend at Silverstone British Grand Prix, mate. So um, still buzzing, mate, if I'm honest. If I'm honest with you, H, I'm still trying to cool down, mate. It was like 30 <laughs> degrees in that grandstand, mate, the whole weekend. But I've had a good time, man. Me and my dad enjoyed it. It was good banter. And uh, obviously, Lewis Hamilton absolutely batted it. It was brilliant. So, yeah, great, great fun. But back to football now. Uh, it's nice that the Euros is over. We can start to kind of look forward a little bit now to what is going to be Premier League, which is what is our favourite. So, yeah, but I'm all good, man. And I'm good to be back on. Good to have you back on. I know what you mean about the Euros, but for me, the Euros was a bit of an escape. Like, it was like, I could not worry about Arsenal and not talk about Arsenal and not think about Arsenal because the Euros are on. And that's my excuse for it not being important at that moment. But obviously, the minute that ends, then all the attention turns back uh, to our beloved football club and the business, or in some people's eyes, the lack of, uh, then, of course, again, takes centre stage, doesn't it? But um, on this edition, we're going to be discussing Granite Xhaka. Now, let me bring you guys all up to date with what's going on uh, with Granite Xhaka, what the latest reports from Italy are telling us. And then we're going to look back on Granite Xhaka's Arsenal career. Now, a lot of you that listen to this show in the past have labelled me as a Granite Xhaka apologist, as somebody who defends Granite Xhaka all the time. And so by having Dan here, I'd like to think that we're going to have a more balanced debate, a debate where we're going to be touching on kind of both sides and hopefully we can have a rounded discussion about Granit Xhaka and kind of get to the bottom of whether signing him was a mistake or just it just didn't work out quite as well as we'd have wanted. So lots to uh, get into uh, this one. Here we go. And, and as a few of you are saying in the uh, in the chat box, uh, Matt says, Harry versus Dan. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Graham <laughs> says, Jeepers, you've picked the right guest. I'm sure he's seen Dan's comments on Jacka's, Jacka before. Uh, so yeah, look, lots to get into. Let's say a big hello to everybody in the live chat. You can see there are plenty of you there already. Don't forget, if you haven't already, smash the like button on the video. It really, really helps the channel. And of course, subscribe if you're new. Um, before we jump into Granite Xhaka, I should have done this right at the beginning, but I want to do it now. Um, I want to wish Ivan Gazidis all the best because some really horrible news come out of AC Milan uh, this afternoon that Ivan Gazidis has been diagnosed with throat cancer. Now, of course, Ivan Gazidis spent a, a fair amount of time at Arsenal Football Club as one of our chief executives. Um, I know that in terms of what he did during his time at Arsenal Football Club, he divides opinion, right? And that's fair to say. However, this is way beyond football. This is much more important than football. And I just wanted to say, wish, uh, wishing Ivan Gazidis a uh, speedy and full recovery, of course. Uh, I think the prognosis at the moment is that he is in a place with, with the right surgery, et cetera, et cetera, that he 
is expected to make a recovery and fingers crossed that is the case. But just wanted to touch on that before we start uh, throwing insults at each other about Granit Xhaka. Uh, right, let's uh, let's get into it. So the current situation with Granit Xhaka is as follows. Roma are now confident that they will secure the signing of Granit Xhaka next week. Personal terms have already been agreed with the player. And of course, the player himself is pushing to join the Jala Rossi. Now, Tiago Pinto, who is one of the chief executives, sporting director at Roma, told supporters uh, from his car window, a little bit Harry Redknapp style, uh, that we'll see what happens when it comes to Granit Xhaka. He didn't pour cold water on the transfer, which suggests that this may well be moving along. Mourinho wants him to join next week because uh, Roma will be on a preseason camp in Portugal and he feels like that's a good time to integrate him into the group. The fee is believed to be around about £17 million plus add-ons. Uh, and we get the vibe that Lokonga's arrival at Arsenal has slightly softened their stance in terms of how stubborn they're going to be around uh, the price and, and whether they're going to fight back over two, three million pounds here or there. So that's where we're at with regards to Granit Xhaka. Now, for me, Granit Xhaka is somebody who come into the club and came with huge expectations. I think it's fair to say, even though I've defended him, that he didn't live up to those expectations. You're talking about a player that cost Arsenal in total nearly 40 million pounds. And I think as much as I don't think he's deserved to be the scapegoat all the time, Dan, it's fair to say that he's not lived up to the hype that came with him when he joined the club, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been harsh on the player, to be honest with you, for quite a few seasons. And the main reason I've been harsh on him isn't because I hate the player or think he's a, a, a terrible footballer. I actually think there's parts of your game which I admire. My problem with Granite Chaka is that the frustration of the same mistakes every season does my head in and you just know for every free kick he takes that's class for every pass he pulls out you think how's he done that for every tackle he makes you know there's going to be an incident where he either grabs someone around the throat smashes the ball against someone and it goes in i.e chris wood passes the ball to the wrong opposition for them to go and score does something silly at the back where he passes it or it goes loose and you just know something like that's going to happen and even this season after probably his best in an Arsenal shirt, he still had those two incidents that everybody seems to kind of slam him for. And the reason he gets slammed for it is because he keeps doing stuff like that. And I hated Mustafi for that. So I can't sit there and be uh, be hypocritical and say that I uh, I believe Granite Chaka doesn't deserve the abuse that I gave Mustafi for those mistakes because I've given it to many Arsenal players. I think with Granite Chaka, what we've seen is a player that has been a stopgap. We've always been trying to progress on that position and we've never really done it. And I think now is the time for us to move on from it. So in a nutshell, Harry, I don't think it's worked out well for him. He's not been an absolute disaster, but he hasn't had a good career, in my opinion, in an Arsenal shirt. And it's ended quite quite toxic, if I'm honest. Um, so I think because of that, it's time for him to move on. Yeah, I think overall, you know, when I sit here and I, and I do defend Granit Xhaka, because as I've said before, I don't think the criticism he gets is always justified. I think there have been moments, as you mentioned, Dan, throughout his Arsenal career where you can look back and go, well, that was a moment of pure stupidity. That was a moment of you losing your rag. That was a, a moment in which you cost us. But I think as a consequence of that, some of the good stuff that he's brought to the team has been overlooked. And I think 
none more than last season can you see that Granit Xhaka, if utilised in the right way, can be a very, very effective footballer. I think a lot of people sat down and watched the European Championships and watched him play for Switzerland. He had a pretty good tournament, to be fair. And in particular in that game uh, against France, how many Arsenal fans do you reckon sat there and, and looked back and went, you know what, this guy is actually a decent footballer. And the reason they could do that is because the emotion gets taken away. You're watching Switzerland. I mean, unless you're a Swiss Arsenal fan, you're, you're, you're neutral. You know, you're watching it and you're going, well, I can actually watch this for what it is. And I, all the previous goes out of my mind because it's nothing to do with Arsenal. And you can just look at him for what he actually does. And what he does do well is he sits in the, the deeper position of midfield. He picks up the ball. He sprays passes very well. I think he covers the right areas tactically when he's got the right players set up around him. I think a lack of mobility has been Granit Xhaka's undoing at Arsenal for large parts. But we have to say, don't we, Dan, that since Mikel Arteta's taken over, he's actually addressed that and set the team up in such a way where that really big kind of fault in Granit Xhaka has been covered up for the most part. Yeah, well, I think Thomas Partey's had a lot to play with that, to be honest with you, Ari. I don't think Thomas Partey gets enough credit. Everyone says, what a poor season he's had, what a poor player he's been, he's not been a good signing. I think that's a bit harsh, to be honest with you, because the ask of him has, has not been great. I want to see Thomas Partey next to somebody with athleticism, because I think then you'll see a Thomas Partey that just gets even better. I think Granit Xhaka has had a really good season and that's hard for me to say because I'm really not a fan of the lad. But you have to be realistic about it and honest. I think he's had a good season. I don't think he's the answer. I don't want to see him in the Arsenal shirt still. I still feel the fans and him just ain't going to ever make that relationship back up because whether you think the fans are in the wrong or Granit Xhaka are in the wrong, that incident has happened and I don't think there's ever going to be any love there now. The one thing I'll say lastly on on like his kind of career at Arsenal is I think sometimes his mistakes have kind of ruined some of his leadership skills. And what I mean by that is I don't think he's a terrible leader. He's been the captain at most of the clubs that he's been at. He obviously is the captain for um, Switzerland as well. Is that right? Yeah, he's the yep, captain yep, of Switzerland yep. as well. So he's obviously got some leadership values. My problem with that is I don't want my leader making stupid errors like every month. And he's kind of leading from it by example. And I think that was the big thing that got, fans like myself frustrated was the person wearing the armband is the guy kicking the ball at Chris Wood. The guy wearing the armband is the one who's just grabbed the guy around the throat. The guy wearing the armband is the one who's just stepped over. I remember he did one right in front of me at the Emirates once. He took took out Son against Spurs and I was just livid with him. And then he stepped over the ball for Wolves to go and score in like the first few games within quite a close distance of each other. And I just thought, why are we seeing this every week from this guy at the moment? It just felt like so over the top. I, I was really like annoyed with it. And it was like he did it every week, but he didn't. But they were the ones that stuck in my head. And that was why I got frustrated with Granite Chaka because I just knew that something was going to happen. And even this season, I was like, just, I'm not saying anything. He will do something silly. And he did. And it was just so frustrating for me to see that because if he would have had an error-prone season, then I'm fine with that. But he doesn't. He never does. And as much as I'm, all, I'm not against people making mistakes because they're human, don't make the same mistake every season. And that's what Mustafi and David Luiz and Kalasanak and, of course, Granite Chaka were doing. And that's why I think it's time to clear them lot out and start again. I really do. I think with the mistake thing, though, I think you can still be a good leader. Like I, I, I slightly disagree there. I think you can still be a leader of people, very vocal, very organised and understand what it is that the team are supposed to be doing. 
even if you make the odd mistake. I mean, flip it round this way, right? Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is, is the captain now. In Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's world, the mistake is missing a chance. And Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will miss chances, will misplace passes. I think to a degree, and this might sound like I'm just really defending Granite Xhaka, but I do think you get some players in football who can be really unlucky in the sense that it seems to be that every time they do make an error, something comes off the back of it and they end up getting punished. And you get others who maybe make the errors as frequently, but sometimes have that little bit more fortune about them. And those errors don't always get, don't always get, uh, turn into a, a goal. I just, for me, I struggle to, you know, I look back at Xhaka's season last season and I can think of two mistakes, two mistakes that cost us. But I yeah. can think of just as many for anybody else. But that previous opinion of Xhaka shapes how people discuss his mistakes. And that has got to stop for me. That There's got to stop being this preconception of players. And we've got to judge them for what we've actually seen on the pitch. And I think some people have been blind to that. I think the reason they've been blind to it is because it's the same mistake season after season. If we're seeing, let's say, Aubameyang miss two sitters, he's a striker, it's going to happen. If he misses those same sitters in, like, say, five or six games or seven or eight games every season, I'm starting to get frustrated with him. And that was why I was with Aubameyang, because he was starting to become a bit like waster, a bit of wasted chances. Some of the strikers were like that. So, of course, you get that frustration. The difference is Aubameyang was banging them in. He's banging 30 in a season, 20 a season. Um, and then you can pick other players that have made individual errors, but you think actually they've made up for it with that. I think with Granite Chaka, it's been like every season for the five years that we've had him, he's made those two errors leading to goals. And the last one I'll say on it, Harry, errors leading to goals the reason they're leading to goals is because the team have been cack around him, right? So don't make that error. No, if I can't mess this up, because if I do, they're going to score because I've got idiots around me. And that was what was so frustrating because I had an idiot behind me in Mustafi, another idiot next to him in Socrates, another one on the left with Kalasanach, Bellerin, who's not been able to play since 2016. So do not make that mistake. And he was making those errors. And then it was like, it's going to be a goal because these clowns have left him in the lurch. I think sometimes his forward, uh, his forward players were to blame as well because I think they left him sometimes anchoring on his own. Um, and I think that was a bit harsh, to be honest, as a team kind of collective. But making the same mistakes, I can't, I just can't have that. I don't mind making errors. I don't. Everybody does it. But don't make them every season, five years in a row. And that was why I was so frustrated with Chaka. He's by far not the one I hate the most. Trust me, there's worse players than Granite Chaka that we've had at this club. But he's the one that's probably frustrated me, him and Mustafi, the most in the last five years. Because, one, there was so much money. They cost the, the combined amount that Salah and Mane did. Kante was for £32 million, And we paid 34 for Granite Chaka. Mustafi was a nightmare, 30 to 35 million. We could have had Van Dyke for 11 at the time at Celtic. And that was why, because I looked at who we could have had and I looked at who we had instead. And that annoyed me as much as well. And I, of course, blame Wenger and Gazidis for that as much as the players. But just prove me wrong. And he's just not. This season, good season, but look at where we were. It was an abysmal season, wasn't it? I mean, when you've got Sabayos next to you and, and some of these terrible players in midfield... It's you know it's 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 difficult to to see where we're going. It, certainly in that area, we've we've got to improve, mate. It's this week, we do have to improve. But what I would kind of throw back is, we have we are about to let him move on. A player who I would argue, even more than Bukayo Saka last season, 
because I think he dropped off a little bit at the back end of the campaign. I would say that Granit Xhaka was Arsenal's most consistent performer last season in, in a number of ways. In terms of maintaining the same level of performance, in terms of being at a good level as as frequently as anybody else. And in terms of staying fit as well, that's a massive thing that's underrated with Granit Xhaka. The fact that he's always available, he always, you know, is in good condition, looks after himself clearly, is willing to drop into other areas. We saw him slot into centre-back quite a bit. We saw him slot into that left-back position towards the back end of the season as well. I think because of that, I, you know, because of the team being no good around him, I don't think you can use that as something to judge him by. I don't think you can say, well, he can't make those errors because he knows that the team around him is not good enough because the team around him is not necessarily his responsibility. He, I'm, you've got to, to a degree, judge Granit Xhaka on his individual performances and what he brings to the table. And I thought last season he was very good. Arsenal as a team have had an issue in that midfield area for a while. Thomas Partey came in, I think, all of us thought that that was going to be the end of all of our issues. And Thomas Partey, I don't think he deserves some of the criticism he's received. I think you're right there. But I do think that, you know, it was a bit underwhelming from Thomas Partey for a number of reasons. Largely, fitness issues were a, were a big problem for him. And fingers crossed, you know, we'll see more from him this season. But another point as well as to why there was a massive difference, in my opinion, from the Granite Xhaka under Mikel Arteta and the Granite Xhaka previously is that Mikel Arteta set up the team in a way that didn't expose him anywhere near as much. Quite often in the Arsenal side, you'll see the left back bombing on, but the right back will be a little bit more reserved at that point. And you see the right back sometimes, whether it's Bellerin or whoever, tucks in field a little bit. Jack is able to drop that little bit deeper into the defence. And then Thomas Partey or whoever it may be just moves over slightly into the centre. Mikel Arteta has played that position for Arsenal. Remember, Mikel Arteta was in exactly the same shoes as Granit Xhaka for a while. A player who on the ball was tidy, looked comfortable, could pick out passes, but wasn't very mobile at that point in his career and often got left as a, a lone anchor and ended up having to cover the entire width of a football pitch when our opponents broke on us. And what Mikel Arteta has done is he's identified that. He's identified it's a problem. He's put that second man in that pivot. He's put He's, he's advised one of the fullbacks to stay when the other one goes. And all of a sudden, Arsenal are this much better defensive unit. And the area of space that you're asking Granite Xhaka to cover shrinks. And if someone is immobile, you give them a smaller area, they'll cover it better. And I think that's been key uh, in Granite Xhaka's improvement. I can see some of you commenting about the dog in the background. That, Mate, my neighbor's dog is out there three, four times a day, just barking his bloody head off, doesn't stop. It's too hot for me to close the door. I am sorry. I know it's not professional, but I'm not melting, not even for you guys. Uh, so I do apologise. But Dan, 220 appearances for Arsenal, for Granit Xhaka, 13 goals, 20 assists. He's won a couple of FA Cups, 98 caps for Switzerland, 12 goals for them. He's the captain as well. Um, for me, this is someone who... I expect to go on and have a fairly good career now in Italy once that deal is complete. And I mean, for me, I'll, I'll look back on Granit Xhaka's time as an Arsenal player and say, well, I don't think he hit the heights that we hoped when we paid what we paid for him. But I think it's unfair that he's been scapegoated so often. And I think that we've got to just say goodbye, understand that we're at a place now 
where that reputation and that relationship with the fans is never going to be fixed and just wish him well. Listen, I do wish him well. I wish every Arsenal player well that leaves. You know, I never want them to have a terrible career because they put on the shirt and they've, they've, you know, done their best, whatever their best is, whatever level their best is. And I've no doubt that Granite Jack had tried 110%. I just don't feel that he was the answer that we needed for that five-year period. And I don't look back at that career and think, wow. What I will say is, you know, you said about him being the most consistent performer. I would agree with that last season, if I'm honest with you. Um, I don't think his performances were outstanding. But then again, I don't think anybody had consistent performances that were outstanding. The only two players I actually feel that would be mentioned as consistent would probably be Pepe and Saka. Then we're struggling because I can't pick Spiffro because he didn't play until Christmas. Um, so Chaka would be the, the the other one. I think with Chaka, the one thing you say, which I cannot deny, his fitness is outstanding. I mean, I don't think he played more minutes. I think he played the most minutes out of any Arsenal player by far. You know, every game, no matter whether it was a Europa League game, a League Cup game, an FA Cup game or a Premier League game, he always played. So that was frustrating for me because I, I wasn't a fan of the guy. But actually, you've got to give it to the lad. He was playing pretty much 90 minutes in those games as well. He never come off at like 60, did he? He always came and played 90 minutes. And I'm thinking, he's rotating every player here. Why is he not playing him? And it's because we had nobody, unfortunately, in the team that could do what he did. And that was spray the, spray the passes, dictate the play in the middle and allow Thomas Party to try and do his thing. Now, we do need to upgrade that. And my question to hit back at you would be, if he is a great player and if he is our best midfield, it kind of shows you how bad our midfield is because we can't even get 20 million for this dude and nobody else wants him. So I think he'll do well at Roma. I think Mourinho is the sort of manager he needs because Mourinho has always had that sort of horrible player in the middle that likes to kick players, likes to kind of not really move, but just likes to dictate play. Hoiberg, we saw it at Spurs. He was really good under Mourinho. Um, he's had it with Cambiasso from Mil Inter Milan, Chelsea players like Balak and Essien. So he's always going to have that kind of player. I think he'll do well at Roma, to be fair to you. And we do just have to say, well done. Thank you. It's not worked out, but good luck. And um, we will replace and upgrade because I, I, we need to, Harry. We need to. Whether it's Basuma, Sabitza, whether it's Neves, I feel they're all upgrades on Granite Chaka. I'm actually not a huge Neves fan, if I'm honest. I think he's an okay player, but I wouldn't say that was a huge upgrade personally on, on Granite Chaka because I don't know that he's as mobile as some of the others. I think the other two probably provide a little bit more athleticism, although Sabitza seems to play a little bit more forward um, for Leipzig. But I do feel that, you know, the Husumawas, Madisons and all that are going to be further up the pitch, um, those kind of thinking. But for me, Bissouma would be a, a real a real good fit for me. But let's see what happens, mate. Yeah, I think the thing with the transfer fee, and, and I think this is a good point from Rydog, he says, to counter the argument that we can't get 20 million for Xhaka, Liverpool got 30 million for Thiago. So, uh, uh, or they got Thiago, sorry, for 30 million pounds. Mm. I guess the, the issue is here that you, when you're talking about Granit Xhaka, you're talking about someone at the latter stages of his career, right? He's 28 years old. You feel like if he signs a five-year deal somewhere, that's kind of it in terms of the big money deal. Also, you've got to take into account the pandemic, which has, you know, has messed a lot of clubs up financially, especially those on the continent who have been impacted much more than those in the Premier League. And that's for the simple reason of TV money in the likes of Italy, Spain, Germany, France is significant, of course, but it's nowhere near as significant as what the Premier League clubs get. So in kind of their continuation of the Premier League, those clubs were still receiving a large proportion of what they would normally bring in in terms of revenue, as opposed to some of the Serie A clubs, for example, who, yes, they were getting the TV money, but they lost out on the revenue from fans coming in. And with that TV money not being as big, 
is harder to cope with. I think we've seen it a lot in this window and we're going to continue to see it. You know, Matteo Genduzzi is someone that people were talking about Arsenal getting sort of 15, 20 million pound for, and we've not even managed to get 10 million for Matteo Genduzzi. You look at, um, you know, Hector Bayerin, another player that Arsenal fans are kind of convinced we should be getting sort of 15 to 20 million pounds for and we, we're not going to get anywhere near that for him either I think the market right now is a difficult one and when you've got a player who clearly wants to leave and Granit Xhaka does want to leave and to be honest I, I can't really blame him I mean we keep talking about the fractured relationship between Granit Xhaka and the Arsenal fan base surely Granit Xhaka must think what is the fucking point like, what is the point in me turning out every week, giving my all when even when I do perform, it's completely overlooked by some, not everybody, but by some. And yet when I make a mistake, my social media is inundated with Arsenal fans in quoted uh, marks sort of having a go at me. So, you know, I, I just think we're at that point now where the break has to happen and he wants to go. He's 28 years old. Roma aren't going to break the bank for him. 17 million is not ideal, but it's probably about as good as you're going to get in this current climate. I, I think that's just where we are. I think we overpaid for him, if I'm honest with you. Um, so I don't expect to get 35 million back, that's for sure, because he's not worth that. And if I look at somebody like him and compare him to some of the other players, then maybe he is about 18 or 19 million. Maybe he is, I don't know. But then there's the other side of that where you say, Everyone's gone down in value by 10 million, let's say, because of the pandemic. And then Arsenal slapping a 50 million price tag for Ben White. So it's like we're a bit backward, isn't it? It's like everyone's cheap, but we're still going to give you 50 million. So I don't know how that works. Maybe it's different with English players and upcoming talent. But I do sit there and sometimes wonder where we are with this business model, Harry. I'm so confused. Matteo Guendouzi was bought for about 6 million. and Everyone said we've made 20 million already and we made 2 million on him. You know, we're looking at, Maitland-Niles now in a situation where we could have made 20 million last summer, but we've rejected it. We're probably looking to sell him for about eight or nine million now, just like we did with Kieran Gibbs back at West Brom 10 years ago, whatever the hell it was, or six years ago. So I sit that and I think, where is this business model coming? The only two players I can actually think that we've made money on in the Emirates era is Iwobi and Exlade-Chamberlain. <laughs> then it stops. Like, we are no good at, by, at, at selling. You look at Liverpool, they somehow got 25 million for Rian Brewster. Yeah. 20 million for Jordan Ayeb. Where are these players now? Where are they all yeah, gone? They've this all is a pin. Salanki, 20 million. The what the hell is going though, on? Dan, they're only worth what someone is willing to pay for them, right? And so somebody like Xhaka, for example, who everybody knows the club would probably be quite happy to move on. Same with Bellerin. You know, it, there were reports months ago that Hector Bellerin had made it clear to Arsenal Football Club that he wanted to leave at the end of the last season. And then he played another full season with Arsenal and now he's going to go. So everybody knows he wants to go. Everybody knows that Arsenal want to offload him. So nobody's going to come in and offer top whack for these players. Because in the case of Ben White, for example, we're going after someone that Brighton would be quite happy to keep, but also understand that they can get big money in for him. So in that instance where the club are not desperate to move that player on, you've got no, to do right, enough to, to, to persuade them. You've got to do enough to, to get them to let them go. And we've been in situations, unfortunately, where we've signed players of the Xhaka profile, for example, and we've given them these massive deals and then they've not progressed, they've not developed, 
And then what you end up with is that player at the end of his contract, he's five, six years older than he was at that point. And now you can't get the money that you spent on him back. And that's why I think Arsenal are changing the kind of approach. Somebody like Ben White, 23 years old, you give him a five-year contract. If Ben White develops in that five years and you want to sell him after that five years, you've now got a 28-year-old centre-half at his peak that you've, yeah, you've made a big investment in, but he's developed along the way at your club. And now you can go and if you want to, you can cash in and probably get even bigger money for him. And I think Arsenal are trying to find that sweet spot now of players who are young enough to develop and still hold a sell-on value, but are also experienced enough, like Ben White. He's played a full season in the Premier League, had a, a season with Leeds in the Championship. These players are also experienced enough to now make that next step in their careers and, and try it and hopefully go on to that next level. So I think Arsenal, what they're doing in that sense makes sense. But I agree with you. You know, there are players that we're going to let go for next to nothing. That is frustrating. It is disappointing. But there's not a lot you can do about it, is, is there, really? I mean, we're stuck. Some of them are toilet, mate. Some of them we ain't going to get anything for, yeah? <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, Kolasinac, just just do what we did with Urza and Mustafi, man. No one's going to buy that dude and give him 125k a week. The guy is awful, yeah? Just just let him go by mutual termination. I know it's another player we have to pay to leave, but this is the mess that we've been in by this great manager that everyone wants a statue outside the stadium for. These are the this is a person who's put all these players on these stupid wages, which nobody can even Bellerin is on about 110k a week. Granite Chaka's probably on that as well, you know? It's just ridiculous. Absolute money we're just throwing down the drain from these toilet players. So some of them are going to be really hard to get rid of. 100 percent we're stuck with them because nobody wants them. El Nenny's still here. He'll be here for another season. Yeah, because we haven't got any other midfielders at the moment. Even Aziz is now being promoted. Willock and Mate and Niles will probably have to stay at this rate because we're not getting anybody in. So, yeah, we could be stuck with this situation where we're struggling to get rid of players. Eddie and Ketia, yeah? Tell me who is better upcoming at the, in terms of stats and how, who's playing for you. Rian Brewster or Eddie and Ketia? Well, Eddie and Ketia was banging in goals for the unders. He's banging in goals in the under-21s. We should be able to say that's about a £25 million striker then in this market. If Bruce is going, we're not going to get that for him. But he's, he's awful, by the way. He's probably going to be about £8 million or something like that, or £10 million. I think but we that like £10 million. But, but that's just, where you're relying on. Oh. Like That, for me, Liverpool selling Rian Brewster for £25 million is not Liverpool being smart. It's Sheffield United being stupid and gullible. That, that's how I see that. Somebody has to cut, you know, if you know how everybody knew that Sheffield United after their first season in the Premier League, where they did quite well, were in a place where they were then desperate for a centre forward. Everybody knew that. And now they come knocking on Liverpool's door and Liverpool start playing hardball. And they know that Sheffield United are desperate and they keep pushing them and pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. And, at the, and then we get to the point where Sheffield United out of desperation now, getting towards the end of the window. We haven't got a centre forward. We desperately need one. Let's break the bank. And it's different because Liverpool weren't that fussed if Rian Brewster went or not. You know, they regarded him as a good, young, up-and-coming player and would have probably been quite happy to keep hold of him. But when an offer like that comes across the table, you've got to take it. Mm. And Arsenal have been guilty in years gone by of holding on to some players for too long to the point where that value then starts to decrease. In Granite Xhaka's case, in Shkodran Mustafi's case, they've never really been on that upward trajectory. And so whatever happened, we were always going to lose money on them, unfortunately. Um, let's uh, let's give you guys a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, if you need to get that bush sorted out, it is summertime. You might go on a date. It might go better than you planned. 
get involved manscape.com check out the lawnmower 4.0 i can attest to it being a fantastic product uh enter our discount code which is 90 min 20 and you'll get yourself 20 percent off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping so you can stand to save yourself a fair amount of money dan can i interest you in a manscaped yeah, man. Like, do you know what? I hear this. Everyone, everyone is talking about manscaped. Do you know what I mean? Everyone is. We've got board, beard oil on the same old Arsenal, manscaped on all the other podcasts, it seems. Uh, so I think me and Lee are going to have to try and get a manscaped uh, thing, aren't we? Because everyone else is. We need to try and keep up with the times. But yeah, mate, good, uh, good advertising there. I like it. Check it out. Check it out. Uh, also, if you haven't liked the video already, what are you waiting for? I can see there's over 300 of you watching us live at the moment. And we've only got, hold on, 73 likes. Let's get that up to 100 sharpish. And then let's start moving towards that 150. Get your questions in the live chat box as well. Myself and Dan will take some of your questions uh, before we wrap up the show. Uh, so, Dan, while people are putting their, their questions in the chat box, pop a little cue at the beginning of them so we can pick them out easily. How would you summarise Granite Xhaka's Arsenal career in one sentence? Uh, a frustrating uh, kind of... Do you know what I'd say? Actually? I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to be too harsh because I don't, I don't think it's fair to be too harsh. And I do want to kind of to leave it, you know, leave on good terms. So I say this. I think as frustrating as he's been, I could appreciate there was a footballer there. However, for me... I cannot forgive his mistakes. That's what I'll say. I'll leave it at that. Really simple. I don't want to go in on the guy because, you know, he looks to be, le well, he still hasn't left yet, but he looks to be leaving. And I'll be kind because I don't have anything against him as a, a pe person. I didn't like the way he dealt with the fan situation. I didn't like the mistakes he made. And I couldn't forgive him because I found him frustrating. And they're the three things for me with Granite Chaka. I don't deny that he could pass the ball. I don't deny that he had some ability on the football but it was just a frustrating player for me and one that you were more than happy to watch week in, week out that I just couldn't no longer. So I'm good, just happy to see him go. I'm going to say he was a good player. We're talking about him like he's passed away, for God's sake. I don't mean it like that. <laughs> he was, he, it does feel a bit like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it does feel a bit like that, doesn't it? Yeah. No, Granite Xhaka was a good player who, for whom the expectation, in my opinion, always outweighed what he was actually capable of. I think he was a player who, once his relationship with the fans had broken down, there was never any way back for him. And, and even if he performed at the highest level, somebody somewhere along the line would have been waiting for him to slip up, make a mistake, and then start with the usual stuff again. So a lot of sympathy for Granite Xhaka, a good footballer, not the best footballer in the world by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think he'll go on to have a, a really good career in Serie A. I think he'll be a hit there. Just finally, kind of on that situation, the way he kind of dealt with the fans. And I know we've talked about this situation over and over again over the sort of last couple of years. I actually, at the time, remember being in the stadium and literally looking around me and shaking my head at our own fans. Because I thought that, that the way that situation all came about was needless. You know, the, the whole thing of moaning about him walking off the pitch, it was the 60th minute, it wasn't the 90th minute. Um, and I'd been at the game the week before that where we played Sheffield United away at Bramall Lane and I was in the away end. I think Judges was there as well. I'm sure I saw Judges. I don't know if you were there, Dan. Um, I wasn't, but uh, Judges was. And it was the one that rained, yeah? Yeah, really yeah. Wet. It was, it was yeah, horrible. Yeah. 
Um, but that night, Granite Xhaka was ironically cheered when he was substituted by the fans. And there was a game prior to that where he got the same thing. So that was uh, weeks of build up there. And I actually, for me, I think in the heat of the moment, people do react angrily. And I don't think that that's necessarily a crime you should be hung for, if that makes sense. I think as fans, lots of us were standing up and screaming and shouting things at Granite Xhaka. So for him to kind of cop his ear and do what he did, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was that big a deal. It's not ideal, but I think you can move past that. And I don't think a lot of people did, unfortunately. But anyway, let's let's go on to some of the questions because we've got some uh, great questions coming in via the chat box. Uh, let's see what we've got here. Hold on a second. Uh, Alex McCarthy says, uh, "Are you worried about our midfield during the African Cup of Nations, Sambi?" Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Torreira would be our only recognised midfielders. Um, it is a bit of a concern, isn't it, Dan? Surely. But if we can go That's... and get the right midfielder in, then it might not be that big of an issue. Well, the thing is, if we get Basuma, he's going to be going there as well. So we need to actually realise that the midfield is short, short. Not just we need a player in there. Very short. Now... If Lokonga and Party are going to be the two, which I still don't think it will be, I think Lokonga is a replacement for a Torreira or, Gwen, or Gwenduzi. I think we are going to get somebody in there, whether it be Neves, whether it be whoever, whoever's coming in, right? There's going to be somebody else, I believe, coming in. We need to actually have the African Cup of Nations in the back of our mind because Aubameyang, Pepe, El Nini, obviously, if we do get somebody in that's going to be um, off there, then they're all going to be going. And we have got Spurs during the African Cup of Nations as well, by the way. So we are going to need to have our some our, our kind of as best team as we can, should I say, going in throughout that period. So we have got to look at that. The midfield worries me, not just because the African Cup of Nations, it just worries me. Like we're getting rid of Torreira, Gwenduzi, Ceballos, potentially Maitland-Niles and Willock. We have literally, and Granit Xhaka, that's like six midfielders that we're pretty much looking to sell. We're keeping, we promoted Aziz, who I think is a baller, by the way, but that's a bit heavy weight on his shoulders if he's coming straight in for games. Now, the good thing is we've only got, we haven't got no Europe. I actually think that's a good thing. A lot of people are losing their heads about it. I think it's a good thing. Let's just have a week of one game and concentrate on that game in the league and try and finish as high as we can up the table, right? With that, you need, you don't need a huge squad, but you still need a squad big enough for injuries. And at the moment, I don't think we've got that in midfield. So, yes, I am worried about it, not because of the African Cup of Nations. I'm just worried about it to actually put a first 11 out at the moment because it's looking worrying, mate. We're relying massively yet again at the moment on Thomas Party. I mean, do you think Lukonga's coming in as backup or is he going to be the number one, do you think? Like, is he going to be a partner for Party? No, I don't think he'll be a partner for Party. I think he's coming in with a view to maybe being that 12, 18 months down the line. Uh, but I think they will go out and get a, a more experienced midfielder. I do expect them to do that. I'm not sure, and this is going to be controversial, but and a lot of people ain't going to want to hear this. I'm not actually sure that Arsenal are going to go and get a number 10 this summer. I think that Mikel Arteta will see the priority as bringing in another central midfield player. And I think he will feel that at times he can play the 4-3-3 and at times he could use if in the event Smith-Rowe's not available, maybe Bukayo Saka in there sometimes, maybe even Nicolas Pepe off of the front man as well. So I think that there is at least one more big money signing in us after Ben White. And I think that big money signing is going to be someone in that in that midfield. Um, I really, really do. And then if we can go on and get the number 10 and 
maybe a right back and another goalkeeper as well. Great. But I don't think Arsenal talking about making seven signings. Can you see that happening? I think no. it's a little bit ambitious for one window, isn't it? I, I think you're right about the central midfielder. And I would agree. If that happens, I would be okay. I could accept that. Because for me, the number 10 is not the one priority. A lot of people are saying it is. I don't think it mm. is. Because I think we've got Smith Rowe. Also, we've got Saka that could play there. We've got Pepe that could play there. We could make do. I don't think we can make do in midfield. I don't rate Elneny yeah. enough. I think Aziz is too young. I think Willock is hit and miss. And he's probably found his level at Newcastle, if we're honest with you. Maitland-Niles is not really going to be playing every game, in my opinion. And Lucas Torreira is probably our best option currently. And he's proved that he can't get into the Atletico Madrid side. So He's probably going to leave as well, to be fair. And, he, and I still think he will leave. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if that is that is the biggest concern. I think right back will not be a priority because we've got three at the moment still at the club. Yep. Likewise, with number 10. And I think you're right. The centre midfield, I mean, I don't know who it's going to be. Don't get me wrong. I'd love it to be Basuma. Um, I think he'd be fantastic. I really do. I also like the guy you mentioned. I can't remember his bloody name now. The one from Milan. What's his name? Uh, Frank Kessier. Kessier. I like him. So somebody like that would be a good mould for me. Um, I like Samare, but he's gone to Leicester. I, think that, I thought that would have been a good signing. Good money as well. Really cheap. Um, I think we need somebody like that. So let's see what happens, Harry. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's take a few more questions. Charlie Lord, uh, I'll take this one, says, will there come a point next season where we realise that we actually <laughs> miss Granite Xhaka? I think there will be, Charlie. I think there were points this season when he was absent where we realised how much we missed Granite Xhaka. I think we realised how much we missed him in midfield during those Europa League ties, for example, when he was put at left back. I think that really shone a light on how important he is. And look, nobody's going to look back at Granit Xhaka and say, oh my God, we miss him. If Arsenal get the recruitment right and go exactly. and bring in a midfielder who comes in and fills that gap. It's a bit That's like the price important. tag. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like the price tag of Ben White. I was having this discussion the other day. Nobody's going to question the £50 million paid for Ben White if he plays well. Nicolas Pepe's price tag is only questioned because he hasn't lived up to it up until this point. But, you know, that that's the way things work. If you can replace, if you can identify, if you can upgrade, then people don't get caught up on the price tag, and rightly so. Uh, let's take uh, a couple more. Uh, I want to say a big hello to Brendan, who's joined us from Kentucky uh, in the USA. We'll get uh, some uh, shout-outs out to wherever you guys are joining us from um, towards the end of the show. Let's take this one from Lone Star Londoner, who says, uh, surely Joe Willock is the standout player that went out on loan and got minutes. He developed, improved and deserves another chance. Dan, do you think Joe Willock deserves another chance at the Arsenal? I think uh, I think he deserves another chance. Don't get me wrong. The reason I would say sell him is because I don't think he's going to play. So I don't think he's going to get that chance. Um, and I don't think he does. I think he deserves it. But I don't think we've allowed we, we've got the time to allow him to develop into this Arsenal side. I think we're in that much trouble. So as much as I feel it's maybe harsh, I think he has found his level because when he did play for Arsenal, I don't think he set the world alight. I didn't look at him and go, wow, this guy just needs to be in the team like a Saka or Smith Rowe or a Martinelli. So I think he's going to be a good squad player if he comes back to Arsenal. And I don't think that's fair on the lad. I think he needs to be playing. I think if I was Joe Willock, I'd be trying to okay, get a move to Newcastle now. Whether Newcastle want to pay 20 to 25 million, which apparently they're, they're saying he's worth, which let's be honest, he probably is because he's young English and he's got time to grow. I would say we'll try and take the money and, and get like a, uh, put that towards a Basuma or a Kessia. That was what I would say. But I think it's harsh to say that, you know, he's, might be harsh on the lad, but I, I, I that's what I would do personally. Me too. And regular listeners of the podcast will know that 
my thoughts on it are that Joe Willock at this point is his stock is as high as it's ever been. And, you know, you, you talk about 20, 25 million pound potential fee from Newcastle. You start next season and he's a peripheral player. And that fee is just going down and down and down 100%. and down with every week. And, and you're right. I don't think he is going to be part of the starting 11. I think with Joe Willock, he's in this awkward space as a midfielder where I don't think his all-round game is actually that good. I don't think he's that good at passing the ball. I don't think he's that good at uh, def the defensive side of the game. But what he is incredibly good at is making late runs into the penalty area. And you almost need him to be in a team where he can get away with really just doing that. Problem is with Arsenal, if Mikel Arteta continues to play the way we're playing with the two-man pivot where you do need to be comfortable on the ball because you're going to be pressed and you need to be able to build up play from a deeper area. I don't think Joe Willock's got that, but I don't think he's got the guile and creativity necessarily to be a number 10 either. I think he's yeah. at his best when he arrives late. And in a team like Newcastle, where a lot of their football was on the counter-attack because they were often the side that were sitting that little bit deeper, that worked. But at Arsenal, that's not going to be the case. We're going to get teams coming to the Emirates, parking the bus. And Joe Willock, for me, hasn't got the vision or the deft touch or that, you know, that bit of magic to unlock a defence. So I think that now is the time to cash in on him. I really, really do. Uh, let's take uh, this one from, I just saw it, but the comments have updated. Here it is. Lee Catlow says, is Awar and Madison realistic? How close are the deals? I think Awar's realistic. I don't think Madison is. Dan, what's your take on, on those two players? Mm, yeah, I kind of agree. I think Husamawa is very realistic because we're clearly interested in the player. I mean, I made myself like a fool because my ITK told me that we'd signed him last summer. So <clears throat> I was really gutted when we didn't. And I actually really like the player as well. I think he reminds me a little bit of a Cesc Fabregas Husamawa. He seems to be one of those aggressive types that can go box to box. He can play in a few positions. And actually, he's one of these players that takes shots at goal. I think he averages out about three shots per, a goal, uh, at goal, which is great because, you know, if you're in those positions at shooting, I think that's one thing that we do, don't do is we're trying to score the perfect goal all the time. I think he'd be one of those killers. I actually really like him. Um, from what I've seen, I can't get that performance from uh, uh, Leon against Man City out of my head. I was like, wow, this this kid is going to be unreal. He was that good. I know there's some worries. I think you saying that there's lack of consistency, um, but he's still young and got time to grow. And I can see that where off the pitch, they what they're trying to do, Arteta and Edu, they're trying to get a young crop of players. I think he would fit into that mould. In terms of Madison, the reason I say it's not real, it's, uh, it's, um, is realistic, sorry, is because there's been no kick up of a fuss from Leicester about he's not for sale, hands off. I think they would probably take the money if the money was right. My problem is, do I see another £60 million signing coming in as well as a potential um, £35, £40 million centre midfielder? I don't. So I would say because of the price tag of James Madison, it's probably unrealistic. I think he would come. He's a massive Arsenal fan from what you hear. My only concern, Harry, and people may not agree with this, is I'm not sure that his injury record is fantastic. For that money could be a little bit of a risk. And I know it's a risk of every player, but that's a lot of money to spend on someone who's, let's be honest, finished the season not amazing, couldn't get into the England side. And as much as I think there's talent there, that would be my only question mark with James Madison. But I would take them both 100%. Brilliant stuff. Uh, let's quickly check in on the likes. We're on 99. Come on, guys, hit the likes. But there's even more of you watching now. There's over 350 of you watching. So I expect 150 likes by the time this video ends. <laughs> and uh, get involved. I know it's an ambitious target, but they really, really do help the channel. Uh, and 
I have seen a correlation between me asking you for them and them actually coming in. It does work. That's why I'm doing it. Uh, right, guys, let us know in the chat where it is you are joining us from. And we'll give you a shout out before we go while you guys are getting busy in the chat box. Dan, tell people about Lee Judges TV. Tell people about where they can find you. Um, what it is you guys are doing with the channel. Give yourselves a plug and uh, and get some people going over there as well. Yeah, cheers, Harry. I appreciate it, man. Love your content and um, obviously very close when it comes to Arsenal with you. But me and Lee are sorting our channel out. Uh, Lee Judges TV is um, got three and a half thousand subs. It's been up for about three and a half, four weeks now. So it's going good. We'd love to get you guys over because I know there's some regulars in the, the chat anyway. So please head over to Lee Judges TV on YouTube. Give it a sub. I've just put a video out on my experience at the British Grand Prix currently this weekend, which a few people uh, are watching and liking, which is good. I know it's not football and it's Formula One, but judges did say at Wimbledon, so I told him I'd do something at Formula One at uh, the British Grand Prix, which he wanted me to do. But we have got regular content in relation to Arsenal. Now that the season's starting again, we're going to be doing a Premier League show with Kevin Campbell regularly. We're going to be doing quite a lot of content in relation to Arsenal, Q&A, quizzes, and some... Uh, Different content, which I'll keep quiet at the moment because um, I don't want to announce it. But there's some exciting stuff and there's some very regular guests and some familiar faces that you may know from opposition uh, influencers from other channels and, um, and other fans. So please come over to Lee Judges TV. Follow us on um, social media. It's me and Lee Judges. Um, you all know Lee Judges Twitter, I'm sure. Lee Judges T at Lee Judges T at Twitter, at Lee Judges TV uh, on Instagram. And if you want to follow myself on Twitter, um, then you can do if you really want to. It's at Dan Arsenal 87. But thanks for having me on, Harry, and thanks to everyone in the chat. No problem at all, mate. Make sure you guys get over there and check it out. Let's say some hellos uh, to Norway, uh, to North London. Uh, hello from the 5280. Uh, I don't get that. Is it me? No, neither do I. Don't I. Know. I'm sorry. I don't get it. Uh, to New York, uh, to Sweden. Alex is unfortunately in hospital. Alex, wish you a speedy recovery, mate. Hope all is well and uh, hope you're on the mend soon. Uh, Alex is one of our members. So a big shout out to Alex, of course. Uh, we've got Hong Kong. We've got London. Uh, we've got Vishal, who's shouting us out from India. He says, absolutely loving the content as always. Big up, Dan. Uh, we've got Panash in Zimbabwe. Uh, we've got NCUSA. Is that North Carolina? I'm going to mm. guess. I'm not very good with my uh, US uh, abbreviations. Uh, we've got Namibia. We've got Emmanuel, who's in Staten Island, New York. We've got South London. Uh, we've got the Awa residents, apparently. Uh, <laughs> Helsinki, Finland. We've got Holland. We've got Tampa, Florida. We've got Canterbury. We've got Manhattan. Uh, we've got Northern Ireland, we've got Trinidad, we've got New Delhi, Austin, Texas, Kenya. Um, oh, there we go. That's the explanation. Mile High City, Denver. Okay. It's 5,280 feet. Just got it. Uh, we've got Andrew in Bristol, North London, the red bit. <laughs> uh, Rome with Xhaka, Cleveland and Jaipur in India. Right. We'll catch you all very, very soon with some more Arsenal related content. Hope you enjoyed the show. Smash the like button on the way out. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Give Dan a follow and check out Lee Judges TV. Until next time. Take care. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.